The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. All right, well, take your Bibles this evening with me. Let's go to Psalm 86. So let's, let's look together at Psalm 86, and I'll just read the first uh, 12 verses, and you can read along with me. Bow down thine ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am holy. O thou my God, save thy servant that trusteth in thee. Be merciful unto me, O Lord, for I cry unto thee daily. Rejoice the soul of thy servant, for unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. Give ear, O Lord, unto my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great and dost wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. Let's pray. Father, as we come together tonight, we are humbled by your, by your love for us. We are humbled by your grace. And Father, we are, we are such a, a needy people. We need your, your grace. We need your power. We need your, your provisions and care for us. But most of all, Lord, we need to hear your words. We need to hear from you this night and every day. We need you to strengthen us to teach us and to guide us. So, Lord, as we come together tonight to praise you and worship you, and, and Lord, I pray that all that we do would glorify you, and I pray that all that we do in our life would glorify you, and that we would bring glory to your name. Teach us and instruct us that we might accomplish this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, I, I want to answer a question that is on everyone's mind at one time or another in their life. And that is the question, why am I here? What is the purpose of life? We've all asked that question. I'm sure every one of us at some point in time. What, what is life all about? Why am I here? What's, what's, what's the purpose in all of this? Now, a person's answer to this question will depend upon their philosophy. For the atheist, life has no purpose but to exist and then to die. There is no rhyme or reason for life to the atheist. We're simply here, we exist, and we die. But for the Christian, life has a much deeper purpose. All of us, as we sit here tonight, from the youngest of us to the oldest of us, understand if, we, if you spent any time in God's Word or any time under the preaching of God's Word, you know that our purpose in life is to glorify God. Now, this is not groundbreaking truth tonight. I'm not about to embark on a, 
on a, on a message that is going to enlighten you into something you didn't already know. Um, but tonight, I want to look at some of the ways that you and I can accomplish this purpose. I'd like, to, I'd like for us to consider some of the things that, that we can do in our lives that will bring glory and honor to the name of our, of our God. So tonight, the question becomes, how can I glorify God? And if we think about it, that's a very valid question, isn't it? For we are all unclean men and women. We are, we are, we are, are sinners saved by grace. So how can we glorify God? How can, how can I do anything in my life that will glorify the name of God? Well, that's what I want to talk about tonight. Now, there are three things I want to, I want to look at and a couple of subpoints under the three points. So we're going to, we're going to try to be as quickly as possible. But first tonight, I, I want us to know that we can glorify God, number one, by our worship. We can glorify God by our worship. I'd like you to take your Bibles with me and turn to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. Now again, as I said, this is not groundbreaking material. You all know this. Probably uh, even the youngest kids, students in this class tonight understand these truths. But let's, let's take a look at this. Exodus chapter 20. This, of course, is where we find the Ten Commandments. So let's look beginning at verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generations of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep. My commandments. God tells us here that we're to have no other gods. We're not to bow down to them. We're not to worship them. We're not to, we're not to make images of them. We are not to worship anyone other than God. In Exodus chapter 34 and verse 14, we read, For thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. And now, how many of you are familiar with word association? How many of you are familiar with that? You go to your doctor or, or someone like that, and he'll say, I'm going to say a word. And when I give you this word, without thinking, I want you to give me the first word comes to mind. So let's, do, let's have a little word association for a moment. You have your study sheets there. Just, just next to the point number one, uh, I want you to, when I, when I give you a word here, I just want you to write down the first word that comes to your mind. Don't think about it. Don't look at your neighbor's paper. Don't, don't look at anyone else around you. Don't take a moment to contemplate what... I'm going to give you a word. When I give you that word, I want you to jot down the first thought that comes into your mind concerning that word. Everybody ready? Here's your word. Worship. Write something down. What's the first word that comes into your mind when I say worship? Okay, who wants to share? What do we got? Give me some ideas. Randy? Praise? Jesus? God? Anyone else? Steve? Love? 
worthiness. Those are great words. It's not what I expect. I expected things like, uh, well, singing and, and music and, and, and all these things. When, when we say worship in the world today, what do, people, what do people generally think about? Oh, they think about getting on the platform and amen and all this stuff. And they, they consider that to be worship. And certainly now, certainly music is a part of worship. It is a part of worship. And praising God is a part of worship. That is a part of our, our worship. But worship is much deeper than that. To worship is to show honor, to show respect, to show deference to, to yield to, to submit to. There's so much confusion surrounding worshiping God. There are so many today who suppose that singing is worship, uh, or maybe they see coming to church as worship. Uh, They may even confuse saying, I love you to God as worship. And and while all of these certainly are a a part of the outward expression of our worship to the Father, these will often go away and and by uh, by their very life they'll fail to worship the Father in truth. There are many who come to church on Sunday, but then they go out into the world and don't show any, any honor or any respect or any deference to God in their life. There are those that, that would, would readily say, I love God, if you ask them, but yet their actions in their life do not reflect such things as that. Worshiping God is so much more than just coming to church. Worshiping God is, is more than singing praises to his name or, or saying that we love him. Worshiping God goes much deeper than these, than these superficial things. Consider with me for a moment the inward nature of our worship. We glorify God by our worship, not only by our outward expressions, but also by our inward behaviors. We glorify God by our worship when our worship is first evidenced by our devotion. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. You know, it's one thing to say that you love the Lord, but it's another to show that you love him. Consider the relationship, if you would, between a husband and a wife. Uh, my wife and I, we were married 34 years ago. And we stood at, 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 at the front of the church in, in a little Baptist church in Franklin, Louisiana. And uh, I don't really remember what I said. But it was something like the, the minister said, uh, you want them? Uh, you got them. And uh, something, like, something along those lines, I'm not really sure. But I know this, we came away married. And uh, I love my wife. Now, it's one thing to say I love my wife. It's another thing altogether to show that I love my wife. And I certainly need to demonstrate my love to my wife before you, our friends, and before our children. But, you know, really, I, my wife, I need to demonstrate my love to my wife to her personally. And, and it's one thing to say we love God. And it's another thing altogether to show that we love God. And not, to show, not for you to show me that you love God, but for you to show God that you love God. Because you see, God sees every part of your life. He sees all the parts of you that I don't see. 
we, we are able to put on a facade every Sunday when we come to church. We, we put on some nice clothes and, and we, 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 we check our speech and we make sure we're doing all the right things and make sure that we're projecting ourselves to, to one another as, as godly people. But what are we when we're not together? What are we when no one else sees us? See, that's the part of me that, that needs to worship God. And, and, and truly, my worship to God is evidenced by my devotion to God. Unfortunately, far too many professing Christians today are, in a manner of speaking, cheating on God. Do you hear me? We are involved in adulterous relationships with this world. We give our love and affection to the world. We give our attention to the world. We give our resources to the world. We invest ourselves in the world. And we cheat on, on, on God. We're, we're involved in, in, a, in a relationship with this world. James said in James 4.4, 4, You're adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And we, are we so foolish to think that what takes place outside of the walls of this building have no influence or impact on whether or not we glorify God in our lives? Some of us behave that way. Some of us act that way. In fact, in fact the things we do outside this building have a greater impact on whether or not we glorify God. And we're not to forget the prayer of our, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Turn with me to John chapter 17. Let's all go together to John chapter 17. You see, our relationship with the Father is seen by our devotion to Him. My relationship with my wife is most, most clearly seen by my devotion to her. By how I, how I treat her personally and, 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 and how... Uh, I interact with her privately. That's, that's of greater impact on, on my relationship with my wife than, than anything else. And, and our, our, our worship is seen by our devotion. Look at John chapter 17 with me. And let's look at verse 9. We begin here. Jesus says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. Notice Jesus is praying to the Father. He said, he's saying, Lord, you're, these are your children. You gave them to me. They're in this world. Uh, and let's read on. I, uh, keep, keep, uh, and, and, and now I am no more in the world, but these, these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be as one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that's Judas, but the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have joy, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the word, uh, the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. You see Jesus' prayer there to the Father. Isn't that 
he would remove us from the world, but that he, not, that, not that he would take us out of the world, but that he would keep the world out of us. We are not of this world. That's what Jesus said. You see in verse 16, they are not of the world. Everybody see that? We're not of this world. So then we should stop living like we are. So first tonight, our, our, our worship is, is, is evidenced by our devotion. But then secondly, our, our worship is embodied by our determination. I said we glorify God by our worship, and our worship is evidenced by our devotion, but it's also embodied by our determination. Let's go to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to turn to a little bit of scriptures here, so uh, we'll get out of here as fast as you can turn to them. So if you can turn to them quickly, we'll be a little bit better off. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. And we're going to read just a few verses from Daniel chapter 1. Uh, I'm going to skip along here to save some time. Let's, let's begin in verse 3. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes, children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge and understanding of science and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now let's go on down to verse 8. It says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. We all know this story, so I'm not going to spend time to set the scene here. What I really want us to see is that by Daniel's determination to do the right thing, God was glorified. Daniel, it says, Daniel purposed in his heart. In verse 8, he purposed in his heart. He determined in his heart he was going to do the right thing. Daniel decided, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm not going to corrupt myself with, this, with, with uh, evil things. He purposed in his heart. And his determination glorified God. Let's turn to chapter 6. Now, Daniel, by his, by his, his strength there... Um, set himself up for later trials in life. Let's look at Daniel chapter 6, and let's go all the way over to verse number 16. Now, real quickly, we all know what this is also, right? Daniel was set up uh, as, as the most prominent man in the kingdom under King Darius, and, and he, uh, all the other men were jealous, and they wanted to trap Daniel, so they, they purposed to trap him by, by making a law that would, that would tangle him up and, and, and cause him to, to break the king's law, and therefore... He would be put to death and they would be done with Daniel. But let's look at verse number 16 together. Then the king commanded and they brought Daniel uh, and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Now we know that Daniel spent the whole night in the lion's den King Darius went back to his palace. He couldn't sleep all night because he loved Daniel and he respected Daniel and he realized by his own foolishness Daniel had been trapped into this law and now he's pacing the floor all night and he's all worried and the sun comes up and he runs to the, to the lion's den and he, he, he calls out to the lions 
and, and um, let's go to verse, uh, verse 20. It says, And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually able to l- deliver thee from the lions? And the king stood there and waited to hear. Now remember, these were ravenous lions that Daniel had spent the entire night with. Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me. Oh, we could read on, but we're going to have to save time. Uh, If you go over to verse 25, it says, Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever. In his kingdom that which shall not uh, be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescue, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who had delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. I don't need to say anything more, do I? I, I think the word of God just, just spoke the truth that I'm trying to, to impart to us tonight. That God was glorified by Daniel's determination to do right. On the, on, on the surface, it may not appear as though things were so great for Daniel, but in the end, God worked it all out for his, for his own glory. Daniel's determination proved his love for God and proved his worship of God. And God was glorified before an entire nation of people. You know, I pray to God that I could be so determined in my lifetime to love him and to serve him as Daniel did. So first tonight, let me say that we can glorify God. We can accomplish this by our worship. But our worship is is evidenced by our devotion and embodied by our determination. Are you devoted to God tonight? What What does it take for you to forsake God? On your job, in your home, away from the eyes of other believers. What does it take for you to compromise and to and to, to live a life that does not glorify God. Well, secondly, tonight I want us to see that we can glorify God by our walk. Let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 30. and ask you all to turn now with me. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And let's look at verse number 15. Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 15, we read, See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil, and that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. I said, secondly, tonight we can glorify God by our walk, and of course, we understand the term walk to be the manner in which we conduct our life. In other words, our behavior. 
The scriptures have much to say about the walk of the believer. Far too much for me to take the time to thoroughly address tonight. But there are two things I want to say concerning our walk and how it can glorify God. First of all, our walk is to be guarded by wisdom. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, Paul writes, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Now, this term circumspectly actually bears a military connotation. It infers that we are to walk with our eyes wide open. That we walk with diligence, with caution, with accuracy, and with exactness. And that we walk with wisdom and prudence, looking carefully to our going. You know, it is a foolish soldier who goes through a battlefield without regard for the danger that lies around him. I mean, I have some friends at work, where I work, who were in Afghanistan, and, and, and I have a couple of them who actually were in Iraq. And they, they, they explained to me that when they go into a city, to, to sweep a city, you have to be so alert to every little movement you see. You imagine a soldier walking around, dragging his, his, his weapon on the ground, and just kicking rocks in the street, and not, not paying attention to the buildings and the houses and the windows and, and all these things, how long do you think that soldier would live? Not very long. No, he, he enters that city and he's got his, he got his weapon prepared. We were taught, when I went through combat training, we were taught don't ever, don't ever look where any place your weapon isn't pointed. So we were taught to hold our M16s and, and have it right here. And wherever I turn, that weapon is right there. Everywhere I turn, the weapon's there. You don't do this. No, you're right there, just like this. Everywhere you go, everywhere you look. So it, it's a foolish soldier who goes through a battlefield without regard for the danger that lies around him. And may I say it, it's a foolish Christian who walks through this life without the wisdom that God has given us. We are foolish when we fail to recognize the evil around us. We need to be constant. I mentioned it in Sunday school class this morning. We need to be constantly aware that we are in a battle. Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against wickedness in high places. And we need to know, you and I need to understand, there is a battle taking place all around us right now. And as we conduct our lives, we need to do so uh, with wisdom. We need to walk circumspectly. And we have no excuse. We have no excuse to walk without that wisdom. James tells us in James chapter 1 and verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Unfortunately, in all my years of ministry, this is what I've observed. I've observed that far too many Christians take one step forward and three steps backward. 
And this is because they failed to walk in the wisdom given to us by God. And for every step forward we take in life, we, because we walk foolishly, we get knocked back three steps. So the truth is we're not really making headway at all, are we? We're constantly falling back. Oh, no, our walk will glorify God if it's guarded by wisdom. But secondly, concerning our walk, I wanted us to notice that it needs to be guided by worthiness. Guided by worthiness. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire, to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Guided. Guided by worthiness. You know what this is? What that is, is giving my life to God. And allowing God to guide me. Now, allow me to lay the foundation for this truth with us. First of all, we need to know that God has the right to my life. If you are a believer here tonight, if you're a child of God, God has the right to your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God has the right to your life tonight. If you are, if you are born again, if you are a child of God, you do not have the authority in your life. God has the right to your life. Secondly, God always does what's best for me. I need to understand that. He always does what is best for me. You know, growing up, my children didn't always understand everything I made them do or everything I I did not let them do. They didn't understand that growing up. And I hope now that they're adults, they do. But what I was doing is what I deemed best for them. I, I, by virtue of my experience, had more understanding than them. I understood the dangers and perils that young people face, so I laid down boundaries and I set rules and I I held them to to, to certain expectations because I was doing what was best for them. And tonight, if you're a child of God, you need to know that the Father always does what is best for his children. Romans 8.28, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. So, my life needs to be guided by worthiness. I need to know that God has the right to my life, that he always does what is best for me, and also I need to understand that God is glorified when I get out of the way. God is glorified when I get out of the way. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And here we know that Paul prayed unto God for deliverance from from his infirmity. And God came to him and said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is all you need, Paul. I just need you to, to go forth and continue to serve me as you are my strength will be made perfect in your weakness and I will be glorified 
by these things. So allow me to challenge us all tonight. Tonight, let's go away from this place and let's live a life worthy of the Lord. Let's go away and leave here and live a life worthy of God. Remember the admonition of Paul in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You know, as I get older and older, I, I realize I, I'm kind of like Paul. I'm, 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 I'm in a twist between two. Having the desire to be with the Lord, but needful that I remain here and, 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 and teach my grandchildren and, and love my family and, and, and serve with you, my brothers and sisters. It's needful for me to be here. It's, it's desirous to be with him, but needful to be here. And I need to understand that while I'm here, while I live, for me to live is Christ. But is that true? Do we live that kind of life? Does the life that we live here glorify God? Does the life that you and I live on this earth every day, does it, does it give God glory? I would hope so. Because Paul said, for me to live is Christ. And by the way, I will represent Christ. Either glorify him or bring a reproach to his name, but I'm going to do one or the other. And so will you. So let us remember that. So we can glorify God by our worship. We can glorify God by our walk. And then quickly tonight, we can glorify God by our work. By our work. Let's turn to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, the, the, the great leader of Israel, Joshua, is, is about to die and he's about to pass off the scene. And he has some departing words for, for the people of God. Let's look at Joshua chapter 24, in verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, I'm not speaking tonight about physical labors. I'm not talking about our jobs. I, of course, am speaking of our spiritual labors. I'm talking about prayer. talking about meditation upon the Word of God. I'm talking about evangelism. I'm talking about teaching ministry. Only that which is done for the glory of God will survive at the judgment seat of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we read, Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. There will be so very many of God's children who will sorrowfully watch their labors go up in smoke as they face the fires of God's test. And so little will come through the, the fire as gold, silver, or precious stones. Is that, is that the testimony we want? Is that, is that what we desire? To, to stand before Christ and have him examine all our labor in this life and watch it all just go up in smoke and all of it burn away because we did so much, 
So much in our life was, was done for other than the glory of God. Was done in pursuit of, of wealth or happiness or, or, or prosperity. And so little done. And Jesus, remember Jesus said, if you, if you offer someone a, a cold drink of water in my name, it shall not go unrewarded. So many things that, that we can do by our work to glorify God. Yet we choose so often, we choose to, to further ourselves and, and not not invest our, our lives in spiritual works that glorify the Father. Now, considering our spiritual works tonight, there are two points I want to stress, and then we'll be done. First, our spiritual works must be marked by, by our faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently Seek him. Again, in Romans chapter 14 and verse 23, we read, For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Our works, I'm talking about our prayer time, our Bible study, our witnessing, our, our giving, our teaching. So often we fail in these because we lack the faith to endure. The cares of this world, the, the deceit of riches, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these all serve to rob us of our faith. It is only when we come to the place where we realize that these are only temporal things that, that we will forsake them and that we will learn to live for the eternal. It is only, only when we awaken and realize, as Paul stated in Romans chapter 8, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, and that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. After we have been ravaged and sieged by this world, it is then that we will be able to state, as Job did in Job chapter 23 and verse 12, when Job stated, Neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. And again, in, in Job chapter 13, we read, Job says, Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him, uh, but I will maintain mine own ways before him. When our labors, when our labors are marked by faith, God is glorified in the eyes of men. And angels. Oh yes, remember the angels are watching us. And, and they seek for us to glorify God also in our lives. But then concerning our spiritual work, secondly, let me state that they must be measured by our finish. They must be measured by our finish. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Paul states, For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Do you see what he said there? He said he finished his course. The Greeks had a race in their Olympic Games that was quite unique. It, would call, it was called the Lampadidromia. And I can't say that three times fast. The winner of this race was not the, the runner who finished first. It was the runner who finished with his torch still lit. All who finished the race with their torch lit 
won. That's a cool race. I could win a race like that. I want to run all the way through my life with the flame of my torch still lit for Christ. Now let me say in closing that each of us here tonight are in the same race. But we are not racing against each other. I'm not, I'm not racing against Brian. John's not racing against me. But we're all in the same race. Each one of us are running a race. A race that God has appointed to us. We're not running the same exact race. Each race is different. I cannot run your race. You cannot run my race. One is not running a better race than another. As, as we sit here tonight, we're all running this race that God has set before us, every one of us. We're, we're running the race. We're going through life on the course that God has set for us. And, and uh, while our courses may throughout life may come together for a short time and we may run alongside each other for a while, at some point in time in all of our races, God may separate us. We may leave. We've had people in, in our church that have, have done that, Brother Joe, uh, Brother Jost and others that have, have had to, their race has taken them off away from us, right? Death sometimes comes and takes, we get separate. But we're all running this race together, but we're not running against each other. We're not competing. Uh, I'm not running a better race than you. You're not running a better race than me. God has ordained our race. He has given us all that we need to run that race. And he has empowered us and will empower us to run this race. But the only question is this. Will you finish? Will you finish the race? In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9 we read, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You know what you have to do to win this race? There's only one thing you have to do to win this race, and that is don't quit. Don't quit, no matter what happens. Trial comes, keep your eyes on Jesus. What happened to Peter? When Jesus came walking to Peter on the water, and Peter, Peter said, Lord, bid me come, and the Lord said, come to me. And Peter stepped out of the boat and onto the water, and he was walking on the water, wasn't he? But then the winds began to be boisterous in the waves, and Peter took his eyes off of Jesus, and what happened? Lord, save me! What happened to Peter? Why did he, why did he sink? He got his eyes off the Lord. He lost his focus. November 29, 1981, Jesus Christ saved my soul. My focus was fixed. I got my eyes on him. I'm not taking them off of him. Until I see him face to face. Anybody can quit. Just don't quit. Don't quit. Finish your race. You see, we glorify God when we finish. Paul said... For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course.
I kept the faith. Can you, are you going to be able to say that at the end? Paul fin- Jesus finished. Jesus did not have to die on the, on the cross. He, he could have, he told, what did he tell Peter in the garden? When Peter chopped off the, the servant to the high priest's ear. And by the way, he wasn't aiming at his ear. You do understand that. He didn't say, stay back, I'm going to chop off your ear. Jesus said, put, put that sword away, Peter. All I, don't you realize all I need to do is call to my father and he'll send ten legions of angels to my side. But Jesus didn't quit. He, he set his face toward Jerusalem like a flint and he finished. He cried out from the cross, Father, it is finished. What about us tonight? Will we stand before Jesus in that day and say, Lord, will we be able to say as Paul, Lord, I I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Will will you be able to say that? You should, by the way, because God God has empowered you to do that. He's given you everything you need to do that. You have no excuse, no reason not to succeed. Give God the glory. We can glorify God by our worship, by our walk, and by our work. The question is, will we do it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, uh, I certainly, Father, don't stand here tonight and pretend that I've I've arrived at all of this, that I'm perfect in these things. Lord, you know my heart. You know how, how desperately I need you daily to walk by my side and to hold me up and to strengthen me. But Lord, I desire to fulfill my purpose in life, which is to glorify you. So Lord, I ask you to strengthen me and to help me, to instruct me from your word, to show me all the the things, all the truth that I need, that 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 I can stand one day and that I can hold my head up and say, Lord, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Please bless us, Father. We need you so desperately tonight. Thank you for this time. I, I pray that the words that I spoke would have, would have been a blessing to, the, to those that heard it. Use this time to glorify yourself. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.